podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombs Show. Good to have you with us, gang. We've got two great guests coming your way as we preview week four in the NFL. And, of course, week four that includes the biggest game in the history of the NFL ever. Trademark Tom Brady heading back to Foxborough with his Bucks, the Super Bowl champs, back to his old stomping grounds and then some. So we figured let's get somebody that knows Brady, that knows Belichick, that played with him, that won a Super Bowl with him to cast his eyes, get his perspective on how that's going to play out. Shane Vereen, former New England Patriot Super Bowl winner, dropping by in just a little bit to preview Bucks Patriots. But before we check in with Shane, we're leading off and looking at some of the big games on the rest of the week four slate with our friend, all pro, former Buffalo Bills coach, broadcaster, Phoebe Schechter, the NFC West front and center. Of course, we'll talk Bills with her as well. They've got the Texans this weekend. We'll look at the rookie quarterbacks. We'll sneak in some Ravens chat as well. Lots coming your way. So we will get straight down to business with the brilliant Phoebe Schechter. Phoebe, great to see you. And we're going to be seeing, I'm going to be seeing a lot of you because you and I are doing the Jets Falcons game for TalkSport next Sunday. I know. I am so excited to be working it. Uh, it's going to be an exciting game and the first one that we've had in London in years now. So I know the fans are going to be losing their minds about having football back. Oh, you know, it's going to be, it will be off the chart as the saying goes. Yeah, Greg, really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to getting into the bills with you. Yeah, of course, we're going to talk, you know, the bills better than most. We're going to talk some bills, some really intriguing week four matchups as well. But before we get to any of that, before we get to any game picks and breakdowns, big news overnight. Richard Sherman is now a buck. How about that? So Sherman signs a deal. It's not a big deal either. It's up to 2.25 million. It's a one-year contract. 500,000 guaranteed, which to us mere mortals is a big chunk of change. But to an NFL player, it's uh, it's pretty low. So what do you make of the, this Sherman deal? He's obviously had some issues off the field in the offseason. He's been biding his time in terms of the right move. What do you make of this fit? You know, it's really interesting because if you look at everyone who the Bucks have, I mean, even if just looking at Tom Brady, all the people that he really wants around him have a very similar mindset of, we just want to win. We want to enjoy our time playing football. And also, yes, obviously the money matters to a certain extent, but there are people who are willing to take that pay cut to, be, to better the team and get more people involved. I mean, having Sherman out there is just going to strengthen their team so much, not only from a leadership perspective, but Mm. what he's going to actually bring. Uh, I mean, it's just another threat, another person you have to game plan against. And I think it's, it's really quite an interesting move. Um, But I mean, just look at all the people they have out there now. I mean, that's insane. (laughs) It is. I mean, you look at how strong this Bucks roster is, particularly the starters, of course, I think, it, the over-under on how many times analysts and pundits and presenters have brought up the point they've brought back all 22 starters is about 1.7 million <laughs> already. Wherever Every time we hear about the Bucks, they brought back all 22 starters. But then adding Sherman and, and that cornerback core, I guess, is, 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 is probably overstretching it to call it a weak link. But 
they've got Murphy Bunting on IR. Jamel Dean got banged up against the Rams. So they needed a bit of backup there. And backup doesn't come much better in that position than Richard Sherman. I'm really interested in what you were saying, Phoebes, about this mindset that players have, particularly when they get to this stage of their career. And Sherman's obviously in the the, the final era, final phase of his career, I think he, he would acknowledge, that rings become more important than ever. And do you find that you talk when you talk to a lot of ex-players or players that have have retired uh, however much money they've made is almost immaterial if they haven't won a ring they realize that they wish they maybe had gone back and changed certain things taken different options different paths and made a little bit less money in exchange for a for a, a championship yeah i mean as you said before you know some of this money is just incidental to people it, it doesn't really matter and everyone in the league gets paid, even if you're technically a practice squad guy. So everyone will retire and be like, yes, I made money. But there are so few people who can retire and say, I am leaving with a Super Bowl ring. Mm. And I think that means so much to people, you know, not even just the players, the staff, everyone. Um, And, you know, I'm looking at how they're building the Bucs. And I know we talk a lot about like Belichick and what he's done with the Patriots, but actually... It's almost like Brady is taking that mindset mm. and bringing that over to the Bucks and really trying to level the playing field for everyone to make sure that some might have to take some pay cuts, some might have to do this. But at the end of the day, what we're working for is towards this championship ring. And it doesn't matter if you're the top dog on the roster or the bottom dog, you're all leaving with a ring when you win that Super Bowl. It's, it's a great point, the culture that he's brought in. He, I was watching America's game, the, the Bucks America's game, uh, with one of my kids and the l- caliber of respect. And of course you'd assume this is the case, but when you hear players like Fournette and Devin White, the, the tones that they talk about Brady within and the, the innate respect they have, it's fascinating to see that up close, uh, you know, up close and personal. And you really understand that the resonance that he has within the organization. And I guess in Fournette's case, certainly in Antonio Brown for different reasons, they were kind of reclamation projects, right? They were had spluttered and stuttered at, at, in their career for, for, for different reasons, but nevertheless then were, were re-energized and reborn. And I guess Sherman's going to look at it and, and feel exactly the same way. So that is a big, big deal. Uh, and uh, the Bucks just keep getting stronger. Speaking of getting stronger, let's get on to your Buffalo Bills because they are starting to roll again after an indifferent start, particularly offensively, right? Josh Allen, back to the Josh Allen we know and love, over 300 yards, four touchdowns, in the win against Washington. And that is no mean feat because this Washington D, particularly the front, as we know, is is a serious business. Interested afterwards, Phoebe's looking at some of the comments Coach McDermott was making. In particular, kept coming back to this idea of rhythm and finding the rhythm, the offense that was in rhythm. What was working so well, do you think, against Washington offensively that wasn't in the first couple of weeks? Well, you're totally right. And rhythm is definitely something that Coach McDermott loves, right? And I think it, he, you know, he thinks of it as if you're listening to a song. You know, when you're kind of in the middle of it and you're really enjoying it and you're kind of starting to move to it and everything, like, then that's, that's great. And everyone feels that, right? But the second, like, someone turns the volume down, you're like, oh, and it's right. like work back up again. So it's completely like that with offenses. You know, we might call it momentum, you might call it whatever, but. I think the fact that, you know, he, one of the really cool things that Buffalo's done over these years is, you know, we might've started off with only really one receiver who used to be Zay Jones back in the day, mm-hmm. but now we've built it up and he has digs. He's got Manuel Sanders. He's got, 
easily. He's got knocks. I mean, that changes a game for someone, you know, whether you're looking at it offensively or defensively in terms of who you have to defend. Mm. And I think, you know, Josh has said it himself a bunch of times. He knows the plays that he likes. He's been working the same playbook now for four plus years. And that rhythm, that ability to know what each other is doing and understand what a defense is trying to do against him is, I think, what's helped him, you know, especially in this Washington game. Um, plus, you know, the O-line's done a great job to protect him. Right. I mean, that's not easy because, you know, the, the Washington D-line is mega and they're coming for you and they know that Josh can run it. So there's a lot of really cool elements to it that's helped to get to where we are now. You know, you've talked to us a lot over over the years about this uh, culture in Buffalo, which just is, is a patient culture, I guess, that allows individuals to develop, gives people some time. I mean, Alan is the prototype of that, right? The poster boy of that, the way that they took a risk on him and he was a raw talent, didn't seem to the untrained eye or the outside eye that... He was necessarily going to play it early on. And a lot of other organizations might have cut and run, right? They might say, oh, you always took a gamble. He wasn't really the, yeah, the right guy. Let's move on. But Buffalo and McDermott stuck with him and stuck. And uh, you mentioned um, Dawson Knox, same thing, right? It's him really emerging now as a serious talent. And that's not an overnight thing. And they've given him time to develop, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even when Coach McDermott made the decision, you know, after that first, second season, often struggled for sure. But, you know, the fact that he made a conscious decision that this is our rookie quarterback. He's been with the same offensive coordinator since the beginning. You know, Dable at the time was looking elsewhere as well. You know, I think he had interviews with the Browns and things like that. But, you know, McDermott realized the importance of that long-term gain and keeping Dable around, keeping that same coordinator, keeping the same coaches around is massive to the development and confidence building of a rookie quarterback. So, mm. you know, we, it is a patient game and I think it's about, it's not about, I guess if you look at it in terms of, yes, you want to be your best self, but more importantly, it's how do we get better? Because being better is always going to trump your best self. Right. And it, do you think if you look at teams and I know it isn't always the case, but typically you look at teams that are, successful continually or consistently in the NFL continuity seems to be one of the the primary components of that right whether it's Tomlin and the Steelers Tomlin and Ben and the Steelers and uh and so many other examples similarly whether it's a front office cohesion coaching mainstays key players on both sides of the ball and veterans there conversely teams that keep cutting and running and chopping and changing all the time just seem to be many of them anyway in a perpetual state of flux so do you think if the bills continue to build on the success applying that philosophy that it will a in the end slow down this i think uh real emphasis uh, increased emphasis on changing too quickly you know you look at uh, maybe this isn't a fair example but you look at that particularly because it's only a couple of weeks in so i'm not writing off zach wilson say but i was always a little bit skeptical why are they getting rid of sam donald after this he's only 22 or 23 he has had a cup of coffee let's just let give him another shot or daniel jones in, in, in new york with the giants right oh he's done he's not the guy well, are you sure like and what's the alternative there seems yeah. to be this real focus on on getting moving on too quickly do you think success of the teams like the bills would would change that a little bit or is it inevitable it's going to keep on getting worse and worse no and i mean i hope that it does i guess you know we have that same situation in like soccer football in the uk Mm -hmm. right i mean 
managers coming and going and the way that that changes it for teams. And you look at some of the teams that, you know, used to have the same managers for years and years, Manchester United. I mean, they were successful because they had consistency. It's really hard. You know, even if you're looking at it from a, a college or an NFL perspective, right? You come into a team, well, the previous team who set it up, your managers, your um, head coaches, they chose the players that they want that fit their culture. Mm. Well, now I'm coming in as a new head coach and I don't necessarily have the same culture or view the offense or defense in the same way. So some of those players for me, although amazing, may be redundant or right. they may not be the type of person that I want to have within my team. Right. And, you know, that's something I know just through Buffalo that we experienced in the beginning. There were guys there that had been left over kind of from the Rex Ryan ages or people that were brought on from who used to be great with the Panthers or whom they worked with previously. But actually, when you see them in this setting of a mix of who I want to be as a head coach and who, you know, perhaps a head coach I was with before, when those two worlds collide, mm. you actually take a look back and you're like, well, this person doesn't actually fit where we're trying to go. Mm. And that's a tough learning curve. And usually <laughs> it's followed by a lot of loss of money. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's our situation is, is so key. And I guess we can flip to, to Houston now, Buffalo's opponents this weekend and look at that because they, they were going to the season without a huge amount of expectation for, for pretty obvious reasons. Uh, but, opportunity knocks for for davis mills he uh is got his work cut out though because if the offense has been a little bit hit and miss for for the bills or this season small sample size that it is but as we talked about very much trending in the right direction now the defense has been lock solid in, in most respects holding opposition quarterbacks to under 250 yards uh in all three games they stopped the run really well against washington they held them to under 100 yards on the ground which was obviously integral in that win is there a strong argument, do you think, Phoebe, that this Bills defense is the best defense in the AFC right now? Yeah, absolutely, because we're still looking at consistency. You're looking at Leslie Frazier, who's been there since the beginning. Mm. You're looking at, you know, your Jordan Poyers, your Micah Hydes. I mean, those two are the captains in, cer- in terms of controlling the defense from behind. You've got a strong middle linebacker in Jermaine Edmonds, who's been there again since he was a rookie. And, you know, all these together, again, it's consistency. They've been working on the same defense for four years, day in and day out. I mean, mm. you would be great at any job, not comparing it at all, but you would be great at any job if you spent <laughs> every, every day. Any job? Let's, let's make a list. <laughs> Be, I'm going beekeeper. I think I'd struggle. I love bees, but I might struggle. <laughs> struggle there. But you know what I'm saying? So I think, for sure, they are definitely one of the top defenses out there because mm. of their cohesion and synergy together. I mean, mm. the past three games, we've had interceptions from multiple guys on the defense. You know, it's not just your safeties. You've got your corners in there. You're getting your uh, linebackers involved. So mm. it's going to be tough against these Texans. And I think really the matchup we're looking up is really your Cooks versus Tredavious White. I mean, mm. that's going to be the most exciting one, I think. Oh, I cannot wait for that. And, and it's an interesting point on, you know, singling out Cooks in, in particular, but this Texas offense collectively, and of course the, the the shift to Davis Mills has maybe slowed it a little bit, but offensively and early on, they were you know, looking kind of dangerous for a team that no one was paying a huge amount of attention to or giving much, uh, giving much uh, hope for. They were, you know, swinging a few lefts and rights. And David Cully, he's an interesting character, isn't he? Because 
I think the the term that gets used a lot with an appointment like this is unfashionable, right? He's not, you know, you mentioned Dayball. I mean, how that hell he didn't get a head coaching job. I mean, that's the Bills game, right? But there are certain coordinators and, uh, and indeed uh, uh, head coaches out there that are very zeitgeist picks, right? And, you know, Staley's a great example, right? And and David Cully's not that guy. He's He's a incredibly experienced. I mean, he goes back with McDermott, right? I mean, they've got a lot of history together and uh, hugely respected in the NFL, but one of those guys that has gone under the radar a bit. The Texans, Phoebe, seem to be really playing for him. This team seems to be buying into what he's doing. I think he's done, given the situation, a really good job so far. Yeah, massive. And he's had a lot of hurdles along the way so far since he got involved, poor <laughs> right. thing. Yeah. Um, you know, so like I was with Coley when he was in Buffalo and, mm. you know, even just being around him, the way that he cares about other people, you know, they've always got that age old quote from John Wooden, I think it is saying, you know, people don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. And mm. he epitomizes that. I mean, for example, when I was in Buffalo, I didn't have a car. I didn't, I wasn't living technically in the U S so he gave me a son's car to use for the season. And, oh, no you know, way. someone that Imagine. was, Oh yeah. Consciously like looking out for me all the time, mm. offensive meetings would start and he'd, he'd call me up and say, Hey, come on over, you know, and he didn't have to do any of that. And I think you can understand why the Texans would want to play for him because He's such an amazing human and mm. yeah, you're right. He's not fashionable. And I think he would admit that himself, you know, but his knowledge and what he brings to the table is, is really quite unique to him. Do you think that's it? Cause I think the perception was he was, he's got the gig as a, an interim, uh, an interim measure. You know, they know that the franchise is, is transitioning. Obviously the whole issues with, with the Sean Watson, although, you know, at the time they didn't necessarily know that was going to play out uh, the way that it has. But I, I don't think anyone felt, well, okay, he's our head coach for the next five years plus, right? But is there a way that he might play himself into the gig long-term, do you think? Yeah, and I, I do think you're right. I, I don't know how it was really put out there in terms of how long, you know, they really saw him in that role. But I think if, you know, if they could take some of his learnings throughout his years of the right people to have in the building, you know, I mean, even having Tyrod, Tyrod Taylor there, like, mm. He's, he's a great guy. He's a great leader. So you start to bring in some of those puzzle pieces as well, you know, that could be setting him up. And I think if you, you know, if you get enough of the right people around him and you have these guys that played for him in the past and want to play for him again, you know, it's kind of a similar feel perhaps to Tampa Bay in terms of what Brady's trying to create. It's just mm. on a probably lower, lower scale, really. Yeah. Well, they are, um, uh, have a long road ahead this season, of course, and certainly against Buffalo on Sunday. I think last time we checked, Buffalo seventeen and a half point favorites. So <laughs> it would be the upset of the season so far. But hey, uh, they're playing hard, so you never know. But it looks like yeah. uh, a decent bounce for the Bills to keep that offense rolling. Let's let's move to the NFC West next because very much in focus this weekend. I should point out as well, in case you think I've lost my mind, that uh, we're checking in a little bit uh, later on with Shane Vereen on Sunday Night Football. So we're not going uh, to go there unless unless you want to dive in because there are so many other good matchups as well. But uh, in case you were thinking, why are we covering all these other games and we're not covering the biggest game of the century as everyone's building it? But that's because Shane Vereen's dropping by later on just to concentrate on that. So I want to look at uh, uh, NFC West next. Um, the strongest division in football as we expected it might be. Uh, particularly, I think, is the East in, in the AFC. The East is disappointed a little bit. The Dolphins are not uh, 
as advertised at the moment and, and the Jets are really not at the races and where we figured they may be a bit tougher and it might change of course we you know we can get a little bit carried away with just a few weeks of the season but at the moment I think it's fair to say the West NFC West is by far the strongest the Seahawks are the wrong end of proceedings right now and given the way that this division is going Phoebes do you think they're in win or bust territory right now. I mean, I know it's nuts when it's week four, but there's a sense if they drop to one and three, I mean, that's going to be a tall order, isn't it? Yeah, massively. And it's not like last season where they, you know, they weren't starting against guys within their division with other teams. You know, these are actually games that matter. And, you know, part of that might play into the fact that there, you know, you cut a preseason game and now the, what would have been a preseason game and would have been another opportunity to get into tackling and, and kind of mm. getting those, you know, kicks out at the beginning. But I mean, hey, on that. So just just to jump yeah. in on that, I'm, I'm interested what you're hearing from from players, you know, and indeed on the coaches as well, because there might be, I guess, a different perspective depending on who you talk to. But what's the what's the what's the reaction been to the way that the the season, uh, the off season had changed, and in particular the, the cutting down of preseason games. I'm guessing players are pretty comfortable with it. Well, you tell me, what have you heard from from on the ground? Yeah, I mean, definitely a mix of it. I, you know, I think really the preseason game, A, allows for less injury as well because you can pull your starters out. But the other half of it is you wouldn't actually be tackling until that preseason game. Mm. So you've now got less opportunity to miss those tackles essentially. And, you know, we always look at the first few games of the season and it is terrible tackling, dropped balls, you know, f- like fumbles everywhere. And those are things you try and get out in the preseason games. Um, so now I feel like a bit of a delayed start to it. But it'll mm. be interesting really to see how these guys feel when it comes to January. You know, when you're into your last games of the season, it's cold, it's not nice. You know, that will be the, I think, the real key when you're that deep into it. Because mm. having one extra game takes a toll on your body. That's why we only play one football game a week. So right. now it's one extra that matters will be... I'm looking, I'm looking forward to like the December, January time to really see where everyone is health wise, especially after, yeah, we had a full season last year, but you know, the preseason hasn't been the same for the past two years. And, and those are opportunities Mm. to get guys up to full health and, you know, into football fitness. So yeah, I'm keen to I'm keen to really see what happens later in the year, more so. And building the the depth of roster too, which which of course was um, many coaches, I guess, would argue the most important part of preseason was not starters because they, you know, have a cup of coffee in the preseason for the most part. But it's those second, third stringers that you want to, you know, the, the forty to fifty three on the roster that you want to yeah. sort out. If you, the coaches feel frustrated that they didn't have enough time to evaluate because of the change. Yeah. And I think you'll always feel that way because it's almost, it's tough. You, you know, everyone says they're going to practice like they play. And I think a lot of people do, but there's no way that you can replace that adrenaline that happens within a game and really see somebody come to life. So, you know, perhaps there are, like you're saying, some of those practice squad guys that potentially if they had another opportunity to prove themselves, you know, or, or get into the swing of things, especially those rookies, who I think probably always end up being the ones that suffer the most in these situations. Mm. Um, You know, they just aren't up to speed in terms of actual NFL game speed. Um, So missing out on that, I think definitely is a detriment, but it just means that actually when it comes to their like practice squad, their scout work, they're going to have to push the envelope even more. So that's not necessarily a bad thing either. 
You know, on, uh, on back to the game, but back to the, the 49ers Seahawks, first of all, and, and I mentioned America's game earlier. Uh, watching Jimmy Garoppolo uh, it, going into the season and this season so far, I do feel like I'm watching an America's game in real time. <laughs> I just feel there is something about how he is dealing with adversity, criticism, the inevitability that Trey Lance is going to take his job at some point with a smile on his face. He's playing really well. I know there, I, I know some 49ers fans will say, look, his ceiling is this Kirk Cousins-esque type player and he doesn't have the X factor, but I'm a Jimmy G apologist for sure. And I'm looking at the, the balance of this team. I think he's strong enough to win a Super Bowl with him. And I think this season could be really, really fascinating. If he keeps on playing as consistently as he is, gaining momentum and they're using Trey Lance obviously in a pinch hitting role which in in many respects just adds even you know more of an interesting dimension to it as opposed to just supplanting Jimmy G with with Trey Lance I think Jimmy G could could be comeback player of the year I could see it I could feel it (laughs) I I love your uh, passion about it I mean, I hope so. But in order for that to happen, his O-line needs to start protecting him a The bit reality better. check. <laughs> yeah, that, would, that would help. I'd get some kind of ground game around him as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But no, I mean, he's, you know, he's a guy that's, that's not, um, you know, he's been through a lot in his life. I mean, even just looking at his NFL career, you know, he's not been a starter and he's been told he's not going to make it pretty much his whole time. So he Mm. probably feeds off of that a lot. And I I definitely respect him for that because it can't be easy when you've got a lot of noise around you all the time, but he goes out there, he leads, he stands in there, he takes one for the team. So you got to love a guy like that. It's with a smile on his face as well. And I think, yeah, he might have the last laugh. You never know. Cause they're looking decent. The 49ers, although their secondary's banged up and Hey, maybe uh, what they would do for Richard Sherman right now. And that is music to Russell Wilson's ears because, you know, Metcalf and Lockett, as we expected, really rolling. And uh, and that is going to be a really interesting matchup to see if the if the, the Hawks can particularly exploit uh, the banged up 49ers secondary. What do you think of the other key, uh, key matchups in this game, Phoebes? Yeah, you know, I'd be really keen to see... Uh, Jamal Adams kind of getting into the quarterback's face a lot more this game. Mm. You know, I was looking at some of his stuff and last year he was something like 11 times, uh, 11, uh, sorry, eight and a half times per game. He was getting into the backfield and he's only been 11 times this year into the backfield. Mm. I mean, that's a big difference. And he is fast. He's athletic and he is wiry when he gets back there. So he puts a lot of pressure on a quarterback and I, I'd really love to see that. Um, you know, I think for, for the Seahawks right now, it's got to be about getting the takeaways. You know, they've really been struggling there. They've allowed the most yards of any team this season, which is mm-hmm. terrible for a defense. Um, I think they're 30th in yards allowed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just can't survive on that. And it's, you know, I- ironic because, like, they used to be the team with the defense. Like, that was who everyone wanted to be around. They, you know, their hawk tackles, and, and it was something that people bought into. So now to see it kind of tipping this way is a bit sad for him really right it, it is uncharacteristic and you know curtains in in this division out of the the west and we'll come on to rams cardinals the other nfc west matchup which team do you see the strongest right now because the cards are obviously blazing but they did this time last year right do you feel it's different this time around do you feel that and i guess a lot of the regression and a lot of the the second half of last season 
has to be put down to Kyler's injury, right? You know, because he was playing so well in the first half and he's absolutely on fire again this year. Do you see a, a, a significant progression year on year? Or is it still too early to call that? No, I mean, I think he's come out hot this year. You know, he's, he's flying around, he's making great throws, really good decisions. And he's kind of the guy that people expected him to be in the beginning. You know, I think we always we always have these expectations on these quarterbacks when they come in and, you know, they fluctuate as they're going through those growing pains. But, you know, I think he's been looking great. I really enjoy watching him. He's fast. I mean, if you're, if you're looking at it between the Cardinals and Rams, I'm, I'm definitely in love with the Rams right now. I think they're mm. awesome, but you know, he's, I think they're going to need to get um, again, pressure on the quarterback in order to help him out. Um, and just having Hopkins changes the game for him too. I mean, what right. a combination those two are together. A guy that has a crazy arm will, you know, really extend a play. And then to Hopkins, who will literally catch, catch any ball you put anywhere. <laughs> literally any ball he will catch. Although maybe not so much this weekend, of course, because it will be uh, Hopkins Ramsey, right? We think like, Ramsey certainly we, we assume is going to be uh, tasked for a, a much of the game with neutralizing Hopkins. I mean, that's going to be it. You know how much I love cornerbacks anyway, right? So watching yeah. watching Ramsey, two of the very best in the game going head to head, that's going to be uh, terrific. Who who would your money be on, Phoebes, to take the edge there? The way they're both playing so far this season. You know, I'm I'm loving Stafford in this new blue and yellow. You know, I think he's loving it too. Mm. Um, so for me, I'm, I mean, between the two, I'm I'm gonna say Rams. But just because I feel like Stafford is almost like being reborn in his football world. You know, he's mm. he's having a great time out there. Um, I mean, he has Cooper Cup to throw to, who's just been unreal. Big time, Kyler versus that Rams front. Uh, I mean, I talk about D Hop versus Rams. He's one thing, but. But Donald pursuing Kyler is going to be, <laughs> I mean, so many fascinating matches. Just one other thing on uh, on the cards, and just jumping back to the, the Jacksonville game last week, when, you know, they were they were tied at seven apiece. Cliff Kingsbury went for the 68-yarder, and we all know how that played out. Uh, and so they went into the locker room uh, down after the brilliant return from Jamal Agnew. You, say you've been on the sidelines, BB and that had happened. So your coach had gone for a, what would have been a record-breaking kick, uh, but I think everybody thought, uh, "Wow, that is a bold play." Nobody would have foreseen it or expected the Jamal Agnew return, right? But what does that move do to to a team and to to the you know on the sidelines, and then back in the locker room at that stage of the game as well? Is everyone going to be going in thinking, "What just happened? Why did we go for that?" and be critical even if they are you know silently so in their heads about the coach's decision or do you think i love the guts i love the fact we went for it these things happen this is football uh, and be quite pragmatic how would you have reacted on the sidelines do you think yeah i mean i think when you're in that situation you just gotta take your shot it was very unfortunate that it was returned that way but i mean what i mean what a return first off like 109 yards it was right i mean that was amazing to watch but I think you do. You have to show that we ask our, our players to play fearlessly. So as a coach, I have to coach fearlessly. And that, that means making play calls that could be a bit dangerous, but that could also tip one way or the other. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think every, every team's goal before half is you want to try and what they'll say, like double dip. So score before half and score after half. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's the big goal, but 
that doesn't necessarily mean that I think teams at this level are so much better at being able to say, Hey, none of that matters. Be a goldfish essentially forget that first half. Let's go out. And now let's start this almost like it's zero, zero, because you can't hang on to that, especially when, you know, really you want to encourage that. You know, on that, and that, that brings us, I guess, quite neatly into Broncos Ravens. Next game I want to talk to you about, because the, the drops for Hollywood Brown in particular, I mean, it's really, I know every, a lot of people have a, a laugh about it and it's an instant meme and you know, the, the haters are going to snipe on, on social media but you've got to have so much sympathy for a player who has undoubted talent having a nightmare unfurl on, on, yeah. on national TV. What do you say to a player? Cause I saw, you know, different teammates going up to him, coaches going up to him and you could just, he had that thousand yard stare. Cause he's thinking, Oh man, not, I'm letting my team down. I'm, and I, and I'm better than this. This is the thing that I find really interesting. When you're talking about such an elite athlete who is probably thinking I can catch that with my, you know, a thousand times I'm throwing that ball. I'll catch it 999 and, yeah. and, I, and it hits me bang in the mush. So as, as a coach, what do you, do you, does it depend on the player? Do you tend to think, well, I'll leave him well alone because nothing I can say will get to him. Or do you try and put your arm around him and say, look, head up goldfish. Let's move on. What, what would you have said in that situation to, to a player like Hollywood? Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, it's, if you've got good leaders on the team, good, like veteran players and like that who can go and talk to him, who've been there, done that, have those words with him as well. But I think it's mm. important that the player also knows that they have the coach's support. I mean, I'm not going to go out there and say, you should have caught that. Well, heck, everyone in their dog knows that he should have caught that. That's not something we need to let him know. But what you need to do is find a way to connect with that player. You know, yes, forget about it for sure. But it's more its more than that because it becomes like a cycle in their head. I'm not going to catch it. I'm not going to catch it. I'm not going to catch it. Well, how do we change that mindset to you will catch that, You you know, and you'll get plenty more opportunities. And there's been games we've seen it where players have – drop the ball multiple times, but the quarterback comes back to him, gives him a quick little one just to, again, build that confidence up. Mm. And that's half of it. You know, just it's hard when you're in a game and you feel all these pressures and it's probably something to look at outside of the game time too. Mm. What are some tools that this player can develop and work on with, you know, a, a psychologist or whomever it is to help them in the moment? Because, you know, there's so much stress that revolves around everything that these athletes do. Yeah, that that is interesting. What happens, you know, on Monday, right? And and during the week and, and how the Ravens are, are getting around them. And I think, look, there'll be nothing better if Lamar hits him up early doors and, you know, and blows the cobwebs away. And you get the sense that he will. I know there are certain court like, Brady, for example, Rogers, <laughs> if, if receivers do that, probably not going to get the ball for a few weeks, but you get the sense that Lamar... Uh, we'll go to him and have his guys back. Although it might be, and good news for the Ravens, good news for, for, for Lamar in particular, Rashad Bateman could be back for, for Baltimore. Of course, he's missed everything so far this season. High hopes for him. And on your point about the depth now around Josh Allen uh, and the depth around Stafford, uh, the depth around any contending team, that's been maybe the weak link for, for Baltimore, right? And that's why they brought Bateman in. So he could be a game changer in terms of their season and, the, and their Super Bowl credentials, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, really Lamar needs somebody else too, right? It's not, we can't rely and we can't live or get to a Super Bowl just on relying on Lamar, you know, making plays himself as right. the incredible athlete that he is. So, 
yeah, having someone like that back on the field, even just, you know, in the huddle, getting people on the same page, that really helps, you know, if things are getting stressful, you know, there's a lot for Lamar to have to think about and try and organize. So to have another guy come in and be like, look, this is where we're at. This is what we need to do. Deep breath, everyone. So yeah, those little details all make a big difference over time. You know, you, what you said about Lamar is bang on. Our friend Greg Rosenthal, who will be dropping by soon, incidentally, on the show. So keep uh, uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, leads the league. Uh, this is Lamar, Le- not Greg. Le- Greg leads the league in yards per completion. No, Lamar leads the league in yards uh, per completion and yards per carry. I mean, just wild. Just, what a st- I mean, just a, just a perfect capsule of how extraordinary a player that he is. What about the Broncos, though? They are um, quietly going about their business. There, there was, I think, a kind of hipster groundswell of people. Yeah, Ollie, our producer, being a hipster, of course, was one of them in the uh, in the off season. <laughs> in the off season, uh, bigging up the Broncos defensively, in particular. You know, we had a Jeff Legwald on the show in the off season, who's covered the team for twenty plus years, and said this defense is really, really looking good. And uh, and any team, as we know, Thebes with a serious defense is going to be there or thereabouts the offense i think has surprised a few people and here they are at three and oh top of the west are you believing in denver this year i think that they can be something and really like teddy bridgewater has been great he's been slowly building over time i think they're loving him out there Mm. um i mean yeah like you're saying their their defense is awesome um i think they're a lot i think it's yards per carry allowed is like 3.3 or something like that i mean that's great mm. for a defense so yeah i'm excited to see them i mean it, it's going to be a tough game against the ravens though it is big time and speaking of tough games last one on the slate uh, that we're not getting to packer steelers so uh, he is a hall of famer i think we're all uh, uh, to the most part agreed he one of the most uh, significant players of his generation but do you get the feeling now that the big ben could be done the big ben could be done maybe even this season he might they might even walk away from it uh, if if the steelers go the wrong way at some point in the season or might you know exit the stage gracefully and they'll move on during the season because it feels like this could be the end of the road doesn't it yeah and it's not been great for him so far and you can tell that he's injured and it's limiting what they're able to do on offense um, you know, it's just, it's just not a great, it's not a great way that he's going to want to finish things either, which is the other problem because you say walk away gracefully, but it's not going to be great for him to look back and think this was my season. So right, it makes it tougher. Yeah, it does. And, and I, um, I th- I th- we talk about expectations. I think the Steelers were, um, because of all the change they'd had as well. I don't think many people were tipping them for a for a decent run this year, but then they started so strongly and defensively they are definitely at the races, but they just can't seem to get anything going on offense. And it's a, it's a real conundrum because if the defense can keep on playing and there is a, I guess a strong school of thought that it's so reliant on, on TJ Watt. I've heard and seen actually quite a lot of analysis this week that after he went down against the Raiders, everything changed. Right. And you look at, uh, uh, you look at the, difference against Cincinnati compared to the Steelers in, in week one. Uh, uh, it's so different uh, uh, fundamentally in terms of pressure, right? And they just weren't able to affect that kind of pressure. He's obviously one of the great players of his generation uh, and instrumental, but it feels like they are in t- significantly dependent as a unit on him being there to be disruptive. So that's going to be key. With the Packers, 
looking at week one, crazy overreactions. Everybody thought, well, that's the end of Rogers at the Packers and he'll probably get dealt by week five. And of course he shut the haters up as he typically does. Where are you on them this season? They seem to have got back in the groove pretty quickly. And as we know, there's a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. What have you made of outside of the week one blip made of them <laughs> since then? Yeah. And, and it looks more like, you know, I think everyone's going to say that about Aaron Rodgers, right? Like after that first game, you know, everyone has that, Oh, he's never going to be the same. But then we saw that arm come back and mm. that was incredible. So, you know, he's got Devante Adams out there. He's got MBS. I mean, you've got lots of talent. He's, and he loves, we've said this a bunch of times, he loves that kind of pressure in the fourth quarter and it might mm. be down a little bit. It's like he, thrives off of that and you see him come to life we did it we saw him last week doing the same thing um you know so he's I don't think he's ever going to change as long as he can keep up his health in terms of his arm and everything like that I don't see them necessarily taking it this year but I see them going further than perhaps predicted after the first game after the first game but a lot of the offseason as well last one for you uh before we let you go Phoebe the we touched on a little bit on Zach Wilson and I guess very slightly on, on Trey Lance, but out of the rookie quarterbacks so far, who has, has impressed you most? And I guess as a, as a follow-up, who do you think is, you mentioned it before, it takes a long time for rookie quarterbacks to settle in the, the NFL to the most part, right? Unless they're, you know, Justin Herbert, the, uh, the class this year has particularly struggled early doors, right? Collectively. But who do you feel, based on what you've seen so far and the, the situation they're in, who do you think is most likely to get into their groove the quickest? Um, that's a really good question, actually. Um, and I know, you know, we talked about Garoppolo and Trey Lance before. And, you know, I think for a quarterback, it's really important to have somebody to show you the way that things are done. Mm. And I think with Trey Lance having Garoppolo there and showing him the veteran ways of, of football life, I think that could really benefit his career long term. So for me, I think that he might be a really exciting one to see. You mm. know, hopefully they don't take Rappel off the field and we've got him next year, but he could be a really exciting one to watch in the future. Yeah, that's like the old Alex Smith Mahomes tag team. I like that. Uh, and Zach Wilson, let's uh, bring in this full circle to the patience the Bills have applied and that's worked out for them everybody just needs to cool uh cool it a bit on writing a player off after three games for goodness sake uh the uh there's a long road ahead and the jets as we know we're always gonna gonna have a tough road the patriots are fascinating and we're gonna chat to shane in a minute and get into into that game in particular and mac jones not the huge amount around him to, to tell at the moment so yeah all of that and of course trevor lawrence again, in a situation we knew was going to be difficult, but maybe has underwhelmed so far, given the high bar that he's had. So yeah, really, really interesting to see how it plays out. Phoebe, we will see. Well, I will see uh, uh, in about a week's time uh, at Spurs. Cannot wait for that. We're going to be live on uh, TalkSport 2, I think from two o'clock, although I might, Ollie, I might correct me on that one, but I think, yeah, anyway, we're live for the game, uh, live from Spurs. So really looking forward to catching up with you then. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. I'll see you soon. Phoebe, great to see you. Take care. Brilliant stuff from Phoebe. She will be back very soon. You can count on that part of our All Pro lineup right here on the NC Show. And speaking of All Pros, let's get to our next guest who has seen it all in the NFL, got the ring, and in particular has the ring whilst in Foxborough, which means he is perfectly poised. Best set 
to talk about Tom Brady heading back to New England this weekend, Sunday night football, Bucks, Patriots, Brady, Belichick. Let's get down to business with Shane Vereen. Super Bowl winner Shane Vereen in the house. Hey, man, how you doing? Hey, uh, how we doing, man? Good to see you again. Most importantly of all, uh, and it's great to see you incidentally, most importantly of all, uh, how's the golf? How we doing? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. You know, I play, I'm playing later today. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't been able to play since football season started. So it's either going to be the best thing for me that I haven't played in like two months, or it's right. going to be a complete disaster. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's like this right now. It was like this right before I started. Some good, some That's bad, what you love about you know. it, right? That's the, the maddening thing about yeah, it. I reckon, yeah. I reckon I got a hunch. Let's see if it plays out. I think you're going to be like a duck to water when you go back two months <laughs> off. I think your head will be clear. You'll be hitting yeah. the Shambo star 400 yards down the field. I would love that. Just once, just one time. I'll never <laughs> swim hard again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good to see you. But we, we all thought there's only one man that can join us to talk about the biggest game in football this weekend. I'm obviously talking about Atlanta, Washington. <laughs> uh, this game, I mean, Bucks Patriots has been... It's getting hyped out of all proportion now. I mean, we knew it would be the moment the schedule was released. Well, hey, yeah. the moment Brady went to Tampa Bay, like we knew this moment was likely to happen and then the yeah. schedule gets released and everybody can't wait for week four. And, and now the uh, media's in overdrive. It, is it, <laughs> is it going to disappoint? Is there a risk it's going to disappoint and be a bit of a, a damp squib after all this buildup? Do you think? I think so. Whenever you, whenever you overhype something, especially here in the States, we're so good at overhyping small <laughs> like situations. And um, you know, so there's definitely a possibility that it disappoints because I just, you know, I don't know what to expect, but I expect it to be tight, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, until at least maybe like fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter or something like that. I think one team may be able to pull ahead, Um, but it's going to be there's going to be some big plays and all that type of stuff. I'm not really sure, like what people are expecting. These are two great, a great head coach. And a great quarterback. One's coaching, one's actually on the field. Right. You know, they nobody knows each other better than themselves. I mean, nobody knows Brady better than Belichick and vice versa. Mm. Um, so the the little things to me are gonna be the big story. Mm. Um, following, you know, it, it, a lot of people say it's a chess match, right? Right. Um, so following those those little those little alignment details, following the play calling, um, uh, following what what they're trying to attack on both sides of the ball for both teams. That's going to be the most interesting thing to me because I understand both styles of football. Um, I understand the way Brady likes to play his offense and I understand the way Belichick likes to call his defense. Mm. I also understand the way Josh McDaniels likes to call his offense. Right. Um, You know, I I definitely think Tampa has the upper hand coming into this. Um, I just, the Patriots just aren't there yet. You know, with, with that offensive system and that defensive system, when you bring in a lot of guys, they were very active in the off season, right? When you bring in a lot of guys, it's going to take them, especially with a young quarterback, rookie quarterback, it's going to take them a little bit of time um, to really get things clicking. Right. Um, but I think once we get into November, the Patriots will be rolling at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I just tend don't, to do that, right? Don't they? They tend yeah. to be a team that gets better and better as the season goes on. Usually, anyway. Well, yeah, that's that's when you that's when you want to be playing your best football. It doesn't you. It really doesn't do you much good. I mean, as as we learned from the Steelers last year, to be playing your best football <laughs> the first two months of the Low season. Blow. <laughs> but, but fair, but fair blow as well. Let's key yeah. it. A, it's a great point you make about Belichick and Brady knowing each other. 
uh, better than than anyone else in, in many respects. Yeah. So how does that, if we follow that through, how does that play out on, on the field? Because, mm-hmm. and I know it's not altogether uh, straightforward because we're talking about, you know, a fundamentally different defensive personnel, if not schematic, yeah. you know, to the past. And obviously Brady's playing in a, in a different offense, but Belichick's going to see things, isn't he? And know things about Brady's game that he can try and catch out. And, and Brady's going to be seeing things in the coverage he's facing and, and know what to look for, isn't he? So is that going to cancel each other out? Or how's that you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, cancel each other out. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, I know Belichick's going to try. I mean, typically it, it, when you get pressure on Brady, when you disrupt his pocket, when you have people hitting him, even after he throws the ball, just people in his face, by his feet, just around him mm. so that he's not comfortable in the pocket. He's not, he's a, he's a different quarterback. Right. Right. Um, as any, as any quarterback is, but I think it affects him more just because he doesn't have the mobility as some of the younger quarterbacks to escape the pocket, throw on the run, you know, Brady's, a a premier pocket passer. So when you disrupt mm. that protection, you disrupt that, that pocket, um, it affects him more now. Particularly, versa, Shane, particularly up the middle, yeah. right? That's, that's when Correct. Know, he's quite good at stepping up and stepping into it, right? Stepping away yes. from pressure that way, but up the middle is where he gets, gets flummoxed. Correct. I expect a heavy pressure in the A gaps. That's both both sides of the center um, and the B gaps as well. Trying to force him. If anything, they're going to bring pressure to his right and and from the middle. So that mm-hmm. way, he ha- if he ha- does escape, he has to roll left. And any right-handed quarterback that has to roll to their left-hand side, that's an extremely tough throw, mm-hmm. um, regardless of who you are. Um, vice versa. You know, Brady knows the weak spots in a lot of Belichick's defenses because that's what he's, you know, he's going to he's going to recognize the defense um, early. Uh, So I think the Patriots are going to have to do a really good job of disguising their coverages and disguising what they're doing, um, because Brady will know that like the back of his hand. Um, so Belichick's going to love that, isn't he? He's going to love the yeah. shell. Like, it's confusing yeah. Jared Goff, and I don't mean this disrespectfully to Goff, but confusing a player like Jared Goff at a Super Bowl is one thing, but Belichick's right. going to love the challenge and try to outfox Brady, isn't he? Exactly. And that that's, see, that's the part that I'm looking forward to. I, I think like a lot of people are trying to make it like, oh, like, uh, this dude, are they cordial? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Mm. It's, it's competition. Like right. you put you put all that aside for for four or for 60 minutes and you go compete and you try and score as many points and you try and hit hit the quarterback as many times as possible. That's competition. Right. That's true respect. You know, and and one thing these two guys have, whether they see eye to eye right now or not or never did or, you know, something fell apart. They have tremendous amounts of respect for each other. Right. Well, that's a, it's a really interesting perspective because inevitably everybody is talking about the the emotion uh, going into the game when they're on the field. I think everybody's clear that they will be in game mode and that will, to the most part, be at the back of their minds, right? But obviously before the game, after the game, yeah. it can't be, right? And where this also gets really interesting when you look at these two characters, right? Both yeah. of them have, have demonstrated all through their career that they are calm, understated, cerebral, maybe not emotionless, but right. they are, are in the eye of the storm. They are a cool hand Luke's right. Both of them. Right. 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 But yet you then see stuff like uh, the two bills and you see Belichick going back to the giants where he made his name, of course, his defensive coordinator and getting emotional. He realized how much the game yeah. means to him. So yeah. here's my question. You've worked with both of them. You know, both of them. They can't fail, but 
get emotional ahead of this game, can they? I know they'll shut it out when when the the game is underway. Of course they will. But beforehand, it must be on their minds quite a lot, right? From the emotional standpoint, I think that would be that would lean more towards Tom Mm. Brady coming coming back to a place where he made his name, where he spent 20 years of his career. So that's going to be emotional for him, how the crowd accepts him. When he first gets onto the field, that's going to be another emotional, you know, because I expect. What do you think? What do you think? I, you, what are you I, actually I, th- get? I think it's going to be mixed, but I think you're going to hear more cheers than boos. I really mm. do. I mean, he won six Super Bowls for this franchise. Man, I mean, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, what do you want? I mean, you know, what more can a player do? He's done more for a franchise than any player in, in NFL history. <laughs> you know, so, you know, there's appreciation. But at the same time, once the ball's kicked off, all the fans are going to be cheering for, you know, for the, for their home team. Um, I don't see Belichick getting emotional. I see him wanting to prove a certain prove a point what that point is i'm not sure yet only the game will tell but i definitely think he's going to try and prove a point in in in, in his competitions that in the way he competes you know it's it, the reaction is is interesting because i know you love your football your soccer and it, when you see a player i'm a west ham fan i think we talked about that before so yeah. the, plenty of players have left west ham and moved to bigger clubs <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, and the reaction that they get when they come back really varies right depending on the manner of their exit you know where the club mm-hmm. was at the time whether the fans re- feel aggrieved about the way that they left and whether it was disrespectful or you know a move sideways or a move they obviously had to take all these different things come into play and different players so rio ferdinand for example the great rio ferdinand of course long a uh, long time yep. Man United central defender, but initially moved to Leeds from West Ham. Whenever he comes back, West Ham fans love him and he gets a great reaction. Frank Lampard, who left to go to Chelsea, uh, left West Ham, the opposite, right? But for various different reasons. It's different in, in, in American sports, isn't it? That when when players leave, like I'm trying to think, you know, when Favre left Green Bay, he was kind yeah. of pushed out of the door, right? Because they had Rodgers. So the Green Bay fans understood it but then he went to ended up at minnesota like a year <laughs> division rival yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. where's brady going to tamper it as far as the new england fans are concerned are they kind of relaxed about it because they feel they feel that he should have stuck around and got them another super bowl how do you think the fans feel about that i, I don't i don't think the fans feel that way i think i think that they understood I, the overwhelming sense of um it's it was time for apart for a parting of ways, mm. um, you know, for a multitude of reasons, Brady wasn't playing his best football. Um, I don't, th- I, I think the relationship was kind of withering as any relationship would after 20 years, mm-hmm. you know, like there's people that can't even stay married for 20 years, <laughs> you know? And so, right, right. you know what I mean? Spend but a like, lot of time it, together. Yeah. But it, it's a, it's a, it's a high, um, high stress environment. You're trying to win all the time. The level of expectation in New England has it, it, the bar is up here. Ever since Brady won his first Super Bowl, the the bar, the expectation was just extremely high. And you know, like any, like we're humans. That that's gonna mm. happen. The the disruption, the bumping of heads, the the disagreements. But like I said earlier, you know. So uh, well, what I was gonna say is, um. So I do think that everybody kind of understood in Boston that it's kind of like a separation of, of you know, two guys mm. parting ways amicably or whatever you want to call it um, mm. amicably. Mm. But um, the, the respect level is still there. The respect will always be there. On the Brady Belichick tag team, there are there's a lot that's been said about it. You know, particularly in the last 
whatever it is, six, six, seven months since the, since the Super Bowl, and you know how significant that was. And I think a lot of nonsense talked about it as well, right? Because I wrote about this this week, actually, this idea, and we heard, we've heard it pretty much from the beginning of, of their tag team and all, a long way through it, that for a long time, Brady had his detractors and people said, well, yeah, sure, he's fine. You know, as a gay manager, but, you know, you put Peyton Manning in that team or you put Aaron Rodgers in that team and it was pretty disrespectful to everything Brady achieved. The more right. he achieved, the more successful the Patriots became. It was, well, they could be even more successful. And then, of course, Brady goes away, wins the Super Bowl with another team, and the same detractors say, well, okay, uh, uh, you know, he, he's, he's proved something to me. He's proved that he can win a Super Bowl away from the greatest dynasty of all time, which, yeah. which kind of is damning and faint praise because it's saying, well, all those other rings he won, it's because he was in the greatest <laughs> dynasty of all time. And yeah. the same guy, Shane, turn it round on Belichick and say, well, Brady's won a Super Bowl with another team. I mean, Belichick, yeah. can he win one without Brady? Isn't it just all really really stupid that that line of logic the sense that who's better than the other individually when it is missing the point totally isn't it absolutely and you know sometimes people when they have nothing to talk about they should just not talk about anything (laughs) just shut up just stop talking because when you bring up the like i look at when i hear those type of comparisons or those type of statements i'm like you that's dumb. That, yep. That's not a smart thing to say. It right. makes you look like you're searching for some for something to be there that's not there. Right. You know, Brady was great because he was with Coach Belichick in that system. Belichick was great because he had the greatest quarterback of all time in Tom Brady. Right. I don't think either either one of them would have had the same amount of success that they're having that they've had without the other. You know, and right. it may be, I don't know, maybe. Maybe, but in my opinion, being in that being in that building for four years, I, I think that they were like the perfect combination of of what they were of mm. head coach and quarterback. I think they were the perfect combination. I think them butting heads made them better. Mm. I, I think that them pushing each other made them better. It made the team better. It made it it made the expectations better. You know, so right. w- when, when you try and compare that, it's uh, it's not for comparison. What they accomplished in New England, we'll probably never see again right. unless Kansas City gets it done. But I, I don't see any other franchise having that amount of success for for that amount of time. So they should just leave that alone and start talking about what the Patriots and Belichick have to do this year to be successful and what Tom and, and Tampa Bay have to do this year to be successful. Tom is on a more talented team hands down, you know, but that doesn't make, that doesn't mean that they're a shoe in for a back to back coach Belichick's in my opinion, coach Belichick has rarely had the most talented team on paper on the field yet. Look at what he's been able to do with that. Mm-hmm. He's been successful. So it, it speaks to both of their talents, um, but separately, you don't always have to compare a head coach and a quarterback because it's like comparing apples and oranges. Right, completely. Yeah. Uh, so well said, so well said. And it, it drives me mad. And of course, this week we're hearing it all again, but let's, uh, let's end on uh, a point you just touched on actually, which is, well, how are these teams projected uh, in your mind for, for this season? And in particular, the Patriots, because I think we're, we're pretty clear the Bucks are going to be there or thereabouts, right? And then when we get to the deep waters of the playoffs, you know, (laughs) anything is possible. But are the Patriots going to make the playoffs? Because the the East, I guess, is perhaps easier than they suspected it might be because the Jets are terrible and the Dolphins are disappointing. So they've got a a fighting chance, haven't they? 
Yeah, I think they'll I think they'll make the playoffs. I do. Um will they win the division? Um I think that's going to be dependent on how Buffalo plays this year. Uh, they haven't really Buffalo has not really impressed me, which is another topic of conversation that will maybe mid midway through the season. Um, well, I'll come back, we'll and, come and, back we'll, and we'll talk about that. We'll clip about, that up. And as Buffalo, yeah, seven straight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, people don't understand how hard it is to be to be good multiple years in a row. Right. But, um, right. But, but, but you're right. They're not looking convincing. And I guess that's a narrative no. that, I mean, you know, that gives, that gives the Patriots cause for optimism then, I guess, to, to take the whole division. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the Patriots are going to be coached. Well, they're going to be able to put themselves. Uh, what are they right now? One and two, mm-hmm. one and three, whatever, whatever it one may be. It, it doesn't matter. Right. Because real football starts in November and December and getting things rolling for the playoffs. By that time, I think we're going to see a different, a, a different Patriots team, a, a team that's playing more together, you know, uh, less mistakes. You know, they're not going to have the mistakes at the end of the game. Um, they're, they're just going to come together and, and play as a team. That's what New England has done for since Belichick has got there mm-hmm. so much better than other teams is play as a team. Um, so, you know, it's going to be fun to watch this Sunday night. I, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, like I said, I do think Tampa Bay has the upper hand, but, you know, anything can happen in New England. Weird stuff happens uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> in big games in New England. Don't wait yeah. for it. it. Listen, it's great to catch up with you, man. Thanks for taking time. We'll let you get on the fairways. Uh, get that driver out. We're looking forward yeah. to hearing your report card, hearing how that round, <laughs> round went. You're going to come All by right. and see us soon, of course, man. So we'll look forward yeah. to a deeper dive. Look after yourself, bud. Yeah, all right, you too. Thanks for having me, man. Good seeing you. Brilliant stuff from Shane, as indeed it was, with Phoebe Schechter. Hope you enjoyed that. More game previews coming your way with the Edge Rush Show. Me and Propo dropping by, uh, dropping by soon into your podcatcher of choice, covering quite a few games that we didn't get into uh, on this show uh, that are on the week four slate, including Chiefs Eagles. We're going to talk Colts, Finns. Uh, we're going to talk Vegas, LA as well. The, the Raiders heading back. Uh, to LA, we'll have Propos Prop Bets of the Week, uh, our Edge Rush Acker, Matilda's pick, most important part of that show. So that is all coming. Uh, so make sure you tune in for that on that show as well. We're going to read out some of the, the brilliant reviews that we've had from you on our different uh, social and pod channels, pod channels in particular, iTunes uh, and so on. Really appreciate all of you uh, getting involved there because it really helps us, helps the show, helps spread the word uh helps us with our sponsors all that good stuff so thank you uh, for taking time to do that and like i said me and propo are going to read out a few maybe we'll get matilda to read out one or two of them as well <laughs> on the edge rush show so tune into that uh, earlier on this week we dropped college days iron mike was around on monday for his week three review so if you haven't gone back and heard those pods in the vault they're sitting there getting you set because it's all good intel for week four all good intel as we roll through the season so we'll see you for edge rush and we'll see you monday with iron mike bye for now Follow Baseball Nuts. Join us on the Johnny and Josh Show with my baseball brothers, where JC will endeavor to offer some insightful analysis. And my friend, Eric Jansen, will offer quirky baseball trivia. But we also have David Langell, who will combine a high level of inappropriateness with a low level of analysis. The Johnny and Josh Show, available to download wherever you listen to your podcasts. Podcast Network.